Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 6, the Light Vision Podcast, where we have conversations to see meaningful things and experiences in people's lives. My name is Eric Fisher, and during this unprecedented time, as we, as a world, try to understand and socially distance ourselves from the spread of COVID-19, the most recent news that we have from this outbreak is that the 2020 Olympics have been postponed into next year. On this episode, I speak with Olympic medalist, mentor, and artist Caroline Burkle, and during this conversation, she shares valuable and incredible insight to the comprehensive experience of an Olympic athlete. She shares stories from her time at the Beijing Olympics. She also offers valuable perspective to the concept of identity and motivation in her journey transitioning from a committed high-level athlete to being a co-founder of Rise Athletes and an artist to further explore expression and healing. This conversation is great, and I'm super excited for you to, to listen to it. So here it is, without further ado, Episode 6 of the Light Vision Podcast with Caroline Burkle. Okay, I'm here with Caroline Burkle, and so honored that she would join by phone, and we're going to have a lot of conversation about many cool things. But first, before that, uh, introduce yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, Caroline Burkle. I... Uh, swam in the 2008 Olympics, so um, some know me as an athlete, and others would know me maybe as someone who has uh, transitioned away from the sport and created a new identity uh, through a challenge of that too, mm. a challenge of the identity creation. Um, yeah, so I, I don't. It's hard to almost identify <laughs> myself when I introduce myself. So. Well, Hopefully we that's, can, yeah, I can do more of that. I think as you'll we be just, just fine. Yeah, part of the challenge and 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 kind of uh, ex- exciting part of finer creations and light vision podcasts is is trying to figure out who we are as a people. But we we change our identities so often. But well, let's start with with um, or what we identify with is probably more accurate. What uh, let's start with the the Olympics piece. So as mentioned before, twenty twenty Olympics in Tokyo, it's on our mind. Um, and I can I can just give examples over examples about stories you know, over family vacations, watching these epic events and Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt and I mean all these things are etched in our memory. But it's, you're, you're a part of that. I mean you were you were there. Um, I don't. That's yeah. such a vast conversation to even get into. But is there anything that you remember about about that that experience for you? Yeah. Um... You know, the Olympics is such a beautiful culmination of so many uh, things in your life that you do leading up to it. Uh, I would say it's rare that anybody just makes the Olympics, you know, based on that being their first international meet or their first big uh, experience or show or anything like yeah. that. Um, and so I think a lot of times when when people speak about the Olympics, something that it may be not forgotten, but is kind of brushed under the rug is that that's just like one one hundredth of someone's career, Mm -hmm. one one millionth of somebody's career, somebody's life, um, especially because it's such a quick thing, you know, only once every four years as well. So, um, you know, even if you go to multiple games, there's always this beautiful journey that leads up to it and, uh, ups and downs and highs and lows and all of the different emotions and experiences leading up to it. So when I think of the Olympics, I I think of an entire journey and an entire process of years of training and, um, 
you know, moving and, and, you know, sleepless nights mm-hmm. and fatigue, like extreme fatigue and overtraining and undertraining and, you know, and, yeah. and all of the different trial and error, uh, ways of becoming great. And I, and so I think, um, you know, when I think of the Olympics, yes, of course you think of the big, uh, the big people and, and all of the crazy awesome racing and medals and everything. But sure. for me, and I think for a lot of people that are close to the Olympics yeah. and that, that attend the Olympics and go and participate is that's just one memory of so many and of so much emotion that goes into it throughout the years of leading up to it. So, um, I almost think of it more along the lines of that than I do just this one event. Um, cause that one event was, incredible of course (laughs) it's life-changing but it's also um i think it's hard for anybody to really that's been to the olympics to really just only identify with just that one time well yeah that makes a ton of sense to me i appreciate that Mm -hmm. perspective because we will sit around the the tv for a two-week period of time those who are not uh, olympic level athletes and kind of get invested in it try to learn the names and and get get excited about the the spectacle of it all but um, I'd i'd imagine also that as a high level athlete and an Olympic competitor that you have competed or did compete against many of the people that you saw that were actually Mm -hmm. there. So what, what about, um, the Olympics? What is it about the Olympics as a, as a competitor? Is it, is it because it's the kind of culmination? It's the high point. It's, it's the standard, if you will. Is, is that what is driving a lot of the athletes to get there? And because of that culmination of, of effort and sweat and blood and tears that gets there, is it, what about it in your perspective is the Olympics? Why, why is the Olympics special? Yeah, I think it's special because it brings the world together. Um, it's a unifying event. And I think that, you know, when you think of the Olympic rings and you think of all the different colors and how they come together and they all link together, it is, that's exactly what it is, is it's a linking and a, a unity of our world. And in, especially in times like now when it feels like everything's heavy and divided and, and uh, confusing, um, you know, I know the Olympics are up in the air right now this year and kind of when they're going to be or what's going to happen. And, and so it just makes you realize even more like how unifying it is. And when you, when you walk around in the village and when you stand on the podium, it's like, yeah, of course, if you win a bronze medal instead of a gold, you want to be on the, on the top spot and you're kind of like, oh man, you know, I can't mm-hmm. believe that country won or whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, there's zero animosity against that because everyone's very competitive, but you have mad respect for everybody from every walk of life that, that's in that arena and in that city during that time, um, regardless of how slow or fast or successful or whatever they are. It doesn't matter. You're just, you're there with, with everybody. And it's so, yeah, I think it's the unifying event that our world, you know, brings together from every sport, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a really cool way to bring, to bring the world together, I think through sport. That's, that's super cool. So um, <clears throat> I have two questions kind of related to um, maybe that experience as, as a whole. Um, in, I think obviously everyone knows about the Olympics, but um, in a storytelling podcast, storytelling business model, uh, what I'm, I'm really interested in and probably a lot of people are is, is maybe just an experiential story or anecdote of, of something that, that pops in your mind of, of a memory 
while you're in the, the Olympic Village or a time that, that you could you could never replicate because of what you just talked about? Do you have anything like that? Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot of stories, but I think um, one that I really like, <laughs> I, I have, yeah, I have a lot that I can <laughs> share. Uh, um, you know, having the basketball team at our, having the USA men's basketball team at our, at our um, sessions was really cool. And that's, that's not really a story, but more yeah. of like a, like, wow, you know, right. like the NBA players of the world. And, you know, we had Kobe Bryant sitting with us for, you know, three different days and, and it's, it's really cool. You know, it, it's, it's the really cool experience. But the one thing that I really remember that was just especially cool was going into the village and into the cafeteria where you have food from every country, right? Like mm-hmm. it's gigantic. It's literally a couple football fields big wow. of just food and seating and everything. So you can go to different sections and get different food for what you need to perform. And, you know, there's a McDonald's in there and, <laughs> performance, um, performance. of course, cause they sponsor the yeah, games. Yeah. And so anyway, you so you walk in and, and you go pick your stuff and then you go sit down. And one day we were, me and uh, two other teammates were getting our food and went and got a couple different, you know, Italian food and uh, fries from McDonald's, like whatever the heck. I think we were done competing at this time. Okay. And um, we sit down and we look down the table and they're very long tables. Mm -hmm. And this young, you know, young uh I think he was Kenyan. I don't remember the specific country at this point, but he was probably a distance runner, Uh had like four trays of food in front of him, (laughs) like the most food you've ever seen somebody eating (laughs) in your entire life for such a small human. And we were just like, wow, you know, so we kind of scoot down and sit down next to him and, and, you know, we were having a conversation with him and he spoke English and, Mm -hmm. um, he was just like, this is like where I live. We don't have this kind of food. Mm. Like we don't have good food like this. And it, it, it just makes you so incredibly aware of how beautifully lucky we are yeah. in a lot of ways and blessed that we are to have that. So that was one story that even though it's so simple and so small, like it was beautiful. Um, we also met Usain Bolt in the same way, just sat down. He sat down with us and we had a conversation. So it's like, you know, people brought together food and people brought together over feeling blessed for what the village and the Olympics brings for them. That is amazing. Yeah. Now I will not be able to watch the Olympics without kind of thinking about that aspect. I was, I was fortunate enough. It was coach track for the last six years here in Nashville at high school. And, and we took a team trip to San Diego uh, last March and we made a, a pit stop at the Olympic training center and we had had lunch there, and it was a, a much smaller snapshot to what you're explaining. But I don't, I don't know a lot of these people who they are, but to know that they're uh, at the top of their game and they've committed to living in in an atmosphere that is all about greatness, and to sit around a similar table for food is was a, a beautiful mm-hmm. picture. And I loved, I love that, and I love you sharing that story. So I appreciate that. That's really cool. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, and I, I'm sure. Like I say this every podcast episode. We could talk for hours, probably. Oh, I could listen, oh, yeah. listen for hours about your stories, and I'd be fascinated from beginning to end. Um, totally. Yeah. But uh, so other, many of them. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> um, yeah. So the other question I have is just from, and I, and I 
told you this too, but I competed in track and field, not at all anywhere close to the level that you've, you've attained, but, um, I remember big time meets and the, the buzz and the atmosphere. And, and I, during the race, I don't remember a lot of detail. The memory's weird about that. Maybe, um, it's because of the race atmosphere itself or not, but I do remember snippets of, of the adrenaline that you get when you're in competition. And I don't know, admittedly, anything about swimming and the atmosphere of competition within that realm. Um, I would imagine that the trials in the Olympics are adrenaline-inducing events. Am am I wrong? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The the trials are the absolute most pressure-cooking situation you can possibly imagine. How so? I mean, obviously, because all the stakes are that are on the line here. But is is the atmosphere just just buzzing, or what? Is, what is it like? Explain that to me, if you, if you can. Yeah, trials. Oh my gosh. Well, now they host it at uh, in an arena, in a basketball arena. Okay. So it's like a very intense feeling and environment. Um, I find the trials to be very stressful, mainly because people are in a you know swimming specifically you're in like a very primal like i need to do this to survive mentality almost and so it becomes you know your your nervous system is the most stressed probably more than anything physically uh demanding you know the the nervous system the cns is just taxed because you have so much of your energy going toward the emotional aspect of the trials, which is that you want to make the team or mm-hmm. question mark. And everybody has a different or everybody mm-hmm. has a different second half of that, like what it means if they do or if they don't. And so going in with a well-defined attitude and perspective for, you know, it's just, it's another meet that you are going to, to perform, you know, and creating your own, um, reality surrounding that versus making it this like life or death kind of situation I think was the best thing that I did um but you know you kind of have to tap into that instinctual place where you're like I I I'm going to do this you Mm -hmm. know and this is like really important for me right now um I think it's such an interesting I would love like a case study on the Olympics for emotions for people's you know, like what people think and feel like just from a, a standpoint of that. Cause I think it is almost people get into this like survival of the fittest mindset, you know, like how we, we have to, it's like, you've got to make it, you just got to make it, you know, yeah. and it becomes a very interesting environment, but it's very, it's powerful and supportive and it's fun. Um, and if you can handle those high pressure situations and have done the work leading up to it, it becomes, you know, even more fun because you know how to do it yeah. really well. Well, I was so. going to say, I mean, it certainly sounds like a super high stress atmosphere, but as a competitor myself, thinking about lower level stories that I have from my time, like I'm, I'm pretty pumped right now too to listen, <laughs> listening to this idea of yeah. stepping into the arena and putting it all on the line and, and try to, uh, respond and I always think that kind of telling high school stories in relation to Olympic athletes silly but we had um, uh, our, our team my junior year we had this rival school and we hadn't beaten them for like years and our, our head coach sat us down in the gym and did like a like a general patent type of 
um, inspirational speech, and we marched two by two out the track. It was it was it was intense. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And and we won. It would it was. And I kind of want to transition a little bit to the relay. It culminated with the four by four in mm-hmm. California. The last is the last event. And I remember when we won that race, it also sealed our victory in the dual meet and the league championship and blah, 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 blah. And I, mm-hmm. that was one of the most emotional experiences that I ever had, hugging those three guys with me. Um, sure. And there were tears and it was just elation um, that it's hard to explain. Um, it, so being a part of the 4 by 2 relay at the Olympic Games or even really any relay in your high-level meets, I mean, can, you, can you speak to that uh, as far as the camaraderie and and not about yourself and kind of teamwork piece. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love relays. I love being a part of a team. Um, and in that atmosphere, when you can work together, uh, the interesting part about the relays at the Olympics are you're competing against each other to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have to, when you make it, you go and you bring yourselves together to then compete together so you're with people that you never have been on a relay with before really unless Uh you swam at an international meet with them on a relay um you know or if it's two people from the same team you know university or wherever competing that make it of course that's a different story but for the most part um being on a relay is it's special it's really special and it's a big chance to to hone in on communication skills between each other Um, because people are different. Everybody races different. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a different approach to the race that they're swimming on the relay. So for example, if I'm on the four by two and the three other people, like we, we all may have a very different approach to the 200 free. Okay. And so communicating with one another, kind of your strategy and what your plan of action is, is really important. Um, especially as the race goes on. So let's say you're third or fourth and you're in a different position than you thought you were in or mm-hmm. whatever, as far as like ranking wise okay. in your heat, yep. you can commu- like those last two people to go can communicate their plan outwardly. Um, hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's no. interesting. Um, you know, I think really you, you also have an unspoken communication, yeah. um, but you, it, it's important to have, a conversation to leading up to it that is very solely and um, I want to say it, it's important to have a steady level of energy so that one person isn't throwing the energy of the group off for some reason, okay. whether it's nerves or um, distraction or whatever it may be. Sometimes that one person or two people could throw the energy of the group off. So getting on the same page all together with the goal and with what the energy is, is, you know, mapped out and planned out to be according to the strategy of the race is really important. Um, so, you know, for example, if you go in seated first, it's like, okay, you have a leader that can sit and talk to the team and make sure that everybody's on the same page with the strategy based on, you know, Uh, England right next to you that Mm -hmm. is uh, you know they had a really good prelim in XYZ and they you know prelim race and and they might take it out fast so you know whoever's going first just be aware that they have so-and-so going first she's really good at the back half right so so it's like planning out together and strategizing so that everybody's on the same energetic level yeah 
No, that, that's that's profound. I mean, there's and, and kind of bringing back in that e- emotional kind of uh, uh, sensory system over overload too. On top of it, is each each individual is going to respond to those things differently, and then. Yep having those conversations about just, just flat out strategy. And then I was thinking too, I, I didn't, from track and field standpoint, I mean, the relays are all, you're, you're pretty disconnected other than the communication that you have in the, the, you know, the exchange, um, in a four by four or four by two or whatever it is, you're, you don't really see exactly what's happening until it's right up on you. But yep. in swimming, you're watching the same 50 meters right in front of you back and forth, right. which, which is a little bit right. different, you know? Yeah. So that is, that's pretty good insight. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I really think I'm, I'm trying to kind of refrain from talking at length about all these really cool things because we could sp- spend a lot of time, uh, oh, on yeah. a lot of it, no, but totally I, I do, <laughs> I do want to, we might have to circle back, uh, another time, but totally. I do want to talk a little bit about rise and also maybe if we can have time on it, touch on the art and how that kind of all blends into yeah. who you are. And, and especially in this kind of, I don't, I don't know what, what to call it exactly, but a second chapter and, and, and revitalization of, of, of what you're creating. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So speak, however you want to answer that question, whether through art, uh, in that lens or through rise athletes, what are you doing these days? Yeah, I, so I began rise with Rebecca Sony, uh, about five years ago and we both retired from sport and we were extremely lost <laughs> and mm-hmm. a big part, a big, very, a very interesting part of uh, you know, an athlete's journey is the time from the moment that they finish to, you know, the time wherever they are now. So whether that's five days ago, whether that's five years ago, whatever yeah. it is. So, you know, Reb, Reb and I started connecting about our time in transition from the time we finished swimming until where we were at. And it had been maybe three or four years for me, maybe two years for her, uh, or yeah, about that. And we shared our experiences and it was like, we don't feel that we're set up for success. Like we feel like we feel like we, we don't know what we're doing and we don't know who we are and our Mm -hmm. identities were so wrapped up in this sport, which is great because I think to be really, really amazing athlete, being able to focus in on what you do and do it really well is key. Mm -hmm. But what we realized is that we want to create a culture where people can do that and also know who they are and also find confidence, you know, in their life that can translate into their sport and then their sport that can translate into their life. So really like enhancing their mindset for sport and life. So she, I was finishing grad school and she messaged me like, Hey, I've been working on something for a couple of months and I want to run it by you to see if you're interested. And so she had been thinking and scheming up this idea of having a mentorship platform between Olympians Mm -hmm. and youth athletes. And I, you know, in conjunction had been working with collegiate athletes on mindset and life skills when I was at the university of Tennessee, getting my master's in sports psychology. So we were both like, Oh my God, this is Mm -hmm. totally, (laughs) it's totally great. So we ended up, uh, collaborating and putting our minds together and creating rise, uh, where Olympians mentor youth athletes from all over the world online, uh, all on video calls. And we do do in-person events, which are 
like two-hour mindset workshops where wherever the Olympian is, they can go to teams local in the area and put on an in-person workshop. Okay. Um, but, you know, throughout those years, throughout the years of starting Rise and throughout the years right before starting Rise, I was very, very – I was in a very dark place. Um, I was not well for a long time. I had endured some things in my swimming journey that were not healthy for me emotionally, and I put them aside to get the job done, and so they all started creeping back in, and mm. in fact are still still doing that, which is interesting. I think we we heal our whole lives, but I think yeah. sometimes things come back to when they're not finished and when we brush them aside too much. So um, I we started to to realize the importance of mental health for Olympians is extremely important. You know, it's extremely important. Yeah. So what we do with rise too, that's special is we provide these Olympians with a way to give their gifts to the world that they used for so long and, mm. and help youth athletes, you know, excel and succeed in their sport mentally and physically. And they're giving their gifts and using their voice and their knowledge and their minds and their hearts to impact them, which increases their, you know, ability to transition from sport based on their giving back of their gifts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, you know, provides significance and contribution for them. Um, That's awesome. They're all trained on. We yeah. We we created a program to train these Olympians on uh, sports psychology principles that we created from our degrees. Mm-hmm. And um, so everyone's on the same playing field and they go through a rigorous process to become a mentor, which is, you know, they've got a course they take. And I guess rigorous is a little, a little, uh, I guess it's a weird word, but you know, th- my point is they don't just come on, like sure, you, don't, sure. you don't just become a mentor for without any uh, training. Yeah. And so um, it's, that's the beauty of what we do is that it is a community based on contribution and significance for both youth athletes and Olympic athletes. Um, that's really yeah. cool. I love so that. we created that and, um, I've always, uh, had a creative side of me. I went to fashion school during my years before rise oh, cool. and, uh, I, was supposed to make well supposed to yeah was going to major in art in college and photography photography and art but I did not because all the labs were during swimming mm-hmm. so yeah. some practices so I ended up <laughs> not so I, I went to FITM Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising okay. after college and got my degree there and started to apply uh, recently started to apply more of my um, learnings and passion for design and art uh, brought that back into my life because I didn't use it right away. So, um, yeah, that's a long-winded way no, of giving you the four one one on my life after sport. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, that's that's you're talking about rise and equipping athletes, and really, you could obviously extend that out to to people in general for um, mindset and and thought processes and and confidence building techniques. I mean, these are. I mean, I worked in the fitness industry for a long time and for, for a good amount of time. And as an athlete, as a coach, we would focus on the overly simplistic things of, of, you know, get on the treadmill, eat your carrots, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but what, I think what we're catching on and, and organizations like Rise and what you're doing are realizing and putting them into practice um, is that 
your thought process about everything is is hugely important to to everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I love that you're doing that, and it's 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 empowering and motivating. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. been good. It's been. It's also helped us, Rebecca and I, transition as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think having something that you can give back with based on what we achieved, you know, it's a sure. beautiful thing to yeah. do. So yeah. we want other athletes to feel as empowered and to succeed both mentally and physically in their sport. Yeah. No, that there, there's no shortage of, of need for that. I mean, that, that is mm-hmm. something that I think we all as people are, are trying to accomplish and whether through conversations or intentional communities or, or equipping in these organizations and consultations. Um, it's something that I think our, our younger culture is moving a lot closer to. And I love it because it's, it's, totally. it's unlocking potential that we probably never thought about. And uh, that's, that's really, yeah. that's really cool. Um, yeah. and I certainly don't want to, to, to short your art. I actually like your art a ton. It's, it's empowering. It's, it's, um, it's, it's representative. It's, um, it's unique in a lot yeah. of ways too. So I, it's it's cool to see um, what you're doing as an, both an expressive and a practical skill set, implementing those things. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I I I had a hard time with um, my body. Right. You know, during the dark period, I, I struggled a lot with that. I didn't know what it was good for. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. Now that I was finished, I, I ran it into the ground. Mm-hmm. I broke some bones from that. I didn't have a period for almost eight years. And, you know, I, I really didn't know how to treat my body. Um, I thought that it was just something that had to be accomplished. You know, like if I had an accomplishment, then it was worthy. Right. Um, and so I started sketching Basically, you know, I went to FITM, of course. I, I mm-hmm. did merchandise product development. So, of course, sketching women in suits and stuff was part of what I did. But I started to find beauty and have it how abstract I could make it all and, like, how that healed me. Mm. Um, and it felt really, really cool to be in that space of healing my body through drawing bodies and different bodies yeah. and all different uh women and parts of the body that are beautiful for us so i yeah i definitely have enjoyed that a lot and it's been really therapeutic for me that's Um, awesome but it's scary to do i think every artist would feel that way yeah (laughs) put yourself in the world my art out there it's like (laughs) the number one feeling so well i think you you should i think you should you're doing a good thing um, was there's this one thing that one of my mantras, if you will, is, is, uh, perspective rules all in that, how you look at a thing, uh, completely changes yep. the world. So, uh, yeah. so I love, I love that your own art internally allows you to see something differently. Um, and it's healing yeah. and it also allows me through you explaining it to see that there's a lot more to every story and every side that, that yeah. instead of being reactive, we can at least take a moment and say, well, what it, what do I not understand potentially right. about what's happening here? Right. And that I was yeah. in such a space of judgment instead of curiosity. Right. And, and I think that when I got curious with myself and my body is when things change. Cause I was just judging so hard. Like I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. it became such a detriment to my healing because I just thought that I was supposed to 
be this perfect person with, you know, um, the, the accomplishment that my body has done as my worth and, uh, that, that was it, you know? Um, yeah. And that was really hard for me. I, I, I couldn't, it was felt hard to get out of that, to be honest. Um, Understandable. So yeah, yeah. I, I feel I'm proud of where I'm at with it. I think um, it's still a process, especially with our society right now with mm-hmm. women, you know, just sure. learning how to articulate what we feel emotionally and that not being some sort of crisis for people is, is really important. Um, Cause without women, we'd all be extinct. So oh, I think yeah. it's definitely something yeah. to, you know, remember as, women athletes grow past their um, worth in their body. It's like their bodies were made for so many different reasons mm-hmm. than what we thought it was. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Another one, one of the points that's, it's, I guess, unintentional theme on the light vision podcast so far is, is me personally. Uh, I feel like I represent in many, many ways the, the image of privilege, you know, my, my young white middle class up middle to upper class person i guess um and that in many ways needs to we need to confront that stereotype and be able to listen and understand and whether we agree or disagree be able to come to the table and say what is it that i'm missing and and see how we can progress so that we can eventually get to a point where and this is really lofty, of course, but we can get eventually get to a point where we're sitting down at the table with people, uh, just like your stories at, at the Olympic Village, and have yeah. our mind blown about what what we didn't didn't understand before. And I think that's yeah. So ho- hopefully we can make a dent into into that societal pressure, into that kind of difficulty. But I think you're certainly a warrior on the front lines doing that. And I appreciate you a ton uh, and you're, you're worthy. Uh, oh, of thanks. Anything, so. Yeah. I, I go in waves, you know, I think everybody does. And I'm very open with my, with my waves and my vulnerability with stuff. You know, I think I, I get overwhelmed by all that's out there. I never know how to quite articulate what I want to say, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel, uh, I prefer also when people lead by example and do the thing instead of talking about the thing. And so I try and do that. And sometimes when I find myself straying from that or feeling like I need to prove myself or whatever it is, I just take a break from it all. And I'm like, step back. Like, what is it that you are accomplishing Mm -hmm. instead of trying to put your outward face first, Right. you know, turn inward and and really dive into what is it that you are standing by in your life what are you trying to say that maybe you don't know how to say but that you can take a second to learn how to show instead of just say it you know um so i think that's important for people to remember that we lead by example and by energy and by the fact that doing and feeling and being and everything can be created in a beautiful way uh, when it's not based on proving worth. Um, yeah. yeah. So beautiful, yeah. beautiful balance of, of introspection and action. It's just, mm-hmm. we, we have to know what we're doing and be intentional in doing that. And that, that makes exactly a ton of sense. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you so much. I, I'm tremendously honored um, to have yeah, this conversation with you. you and it's been really helpful um, because uh, your example is powerful. So I appreciate that a ton. Thank you so much for yeah, joining me thank on the you. podcast.
I appreciate you very much. I love doing this, and uh, let me know if you have anything else you need. Okay, will do. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Light Vision Podcast. I am just so appreciative and thankful for Caroline for spending time with me on the phone and having and sharing that conversation with me. Her perspective is is powerful and beautiful um, and just just something that a great teacher to all of us. That mindset is powerful, that there's a lot more to every story and that expression can be healing. But thank you again for listening to the Light Vision Podcast. It means a lot. Tell people about it, subscribe now, rate it, and share it so that we can continue having these conversations. And if you like the Light Vision Podcast and by extension, Final Creations as a storytelling platform, then you can become a patron today on patreon.com slash Finor, F-I-N-O-W-R, so that we can continue to support storytelling to shine light on the human experience. So please do that today. There's so much coming. Website, online store, human story reporting, newsletters, and expanded patron-only offers coming very soon. So please join today. But until then, we're going to continue these conversations on Light Vision, and we'll see you in two weeks for Episode 7.